Welcome to Automotive Insiders, the podcast series presented by OESA, the Original Equipment Suppliers Association. You'll hear from automotive industry experts on the critical issues that are impacting the mobility landscape. Get actionable insights on how to thrive in Automotive 2.0. Now, here's your Automotive Insiders host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome to Automotive Insiders, presented by OESA, the Original Equipment Suppliers Association. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Happy to be here. We've got a really hot topic for you today. My special guests, let me just have them introduce themselves, are Bill Newman and Daniel Davenport. Bill Newman, welcome back. I can't say it's been so long because you're on so often. We're always happy to hear from you. Bill, why don't you introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit about what we're going to be talking about. Just a teeny overview, and then we'll have Daniel introduce himself. Yeah, great. Hey, Bonnie, and uh, welcome to uh, all of our Automotive Insider listeners. It's good to be back. Um, I am Bill Newman, um, almost 35 years in automotive and manufacturing space, uh, been around the horn a few times previously with Volkswagen and a number of tier one system integrators and uh, advanced uh, um, consultancies. Uh, I think in, in, our, in my role at SAP, I'm responsible for uh, working with our, our business uh, stakeholders to understand how to drive value and new capabilities into their organization. And I think today we wanna, we wanna touch on that as it's related to um, vehicle logistics and some of the work that we're seeing in the distribution sector. So happy to be with you, Bonnie, thank you. Thank you, Bill. And now we have a newcomer to Automotive Insiders. We are so happy to welcome Mr. Daniel Davenport. Dan, may I call you Dan or you want to be formal Daniel for the whole show? It, it, up to you, Bonnie. Either Daniel, way. we will Just go Daniel because be you look so formal. <laughs> I am, have the privilege of doing these shows on Zoom and I love to say uh, it's enhanced radio. I can see it's nuanced. I can see my guests think and speak. And this is so much better than doing it on phone like we did the past 10 years. Daniel Davenport, you're up. Why don't you introduce yourself to our audience? They're eager to know who you are and what you do. Well, thank you so much, Bonnie. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm Daniel Davenport. I work in the automotive sector for Capgemini. I've got a, a varied background, mainly in the experience in digital arenas, but I've been working here uh, with the automotive clients that we have, mainly tier ones and, uh, and the OEMs as they look to uh, expand their businesses and grow and mature into the new world of mobility services. Fantastic to be here with you guys today. Thank you very much. I just want to go around the table before we get to the meat and potatoes of our topic. Uh, Bill Newman, remind us, how did you get into automotive? What Was it a childhood thing, a teenage thing? What was your entree into the world of cars, trucks, vehicles? Where, when did you start? Well, I'm actually an airplane guy by trade, Bonnie. So I listeners forgot. might know. Yeah, I, I started in uh, aerospace and defense. My uh, my second car originally was the B2 Stealth Bomber. So uh, when, back in the day when they said, you know, what do you, when anybody asks you what you make, you say you make a paycheck every week and you run away because we were all in that uh, dark secret vault cloak and dagger thing. Um, but I had the occasion and fortune to study uh, the automotive industry as part of my uh business school thesis in Europe. And I got to meet some of the leading brand companies and executives there. Um, and as it turns out, uh, love and business brought me to Michigan. And uh, before you knew it, you know, just just goes to show, never say never, right? So 
20 plus years later, here I am and, uh, you know, planes, trains and automobiles. Thank you very much. I love that. Daniel Davenport, we want to know, how did you get started in automotive? You don't have to try and match Bill's story. And if you weren't well, involved in airplanes, it's fine. Go ahead, talk to me. No skunk works uh, to speak of, so I can't match that. But I uh, I come from an automotive family. My, my family's had a Ford dealership in upper South Carolina since 1937. So that's a, that's a good long time. So I come by it honestly. Uh, And then in my professional career, I've been fortunate enough to work with a number of OEMs as they think about uh, activating more rich and powerful experiences in the digital channel and then how to use data to make those customer relationships uh, more meaningful. So not, not no stealth bombers. Daniel, what was your first car? I have to ask. It was a uh, Fiat Spider. Wooden wheel, little red convertible, fantastic car. Very cool. Thank you very much. And Bill's was a stealth bomber. Let's go to our topic today. Topic number one, we have four we're going to cover. Let's see how far we can get. Uh, this is These are the questions I'm going to ask you. When manufacturing ends, where do the vehicles go? The increased need for increased visibility and improved integration from vehicle manufacturer to distributors and fleet operators to the service providers, the dealers, and the retailers. Big topic. Bill, why don't you start us off? Take about three minutes. Give me your POV on this, and then we'll see what Daniel has to say. Go ahead, Bill Newman. Yeah, so thanks, Bonnie. It's it's an interesting topic. So um, for, for many of our listeners who are familiar with um, how cars are made, you know, we, we have a number of systems and processes that guide um, the design, build, um, and launch of vehicles. And it's interesting because we, we discovered over many years of working with our customers that there was not only a need to have these integrated processes and you know, data visibility across all the stages to build a vehicle, but we realized that once a vehicle was actually built and it rolled across this imaginary line, sometimes they actually paint a yellow line at the end of the manufacturing um, uh, plant, that vehicle is technically sold. It's either going to a fleet operator, it's going to a distributor, it's going directly to a dealer, it's getting put on a boat consignment to another um, company's subsidiary, so it's being transferred internally. And we realized that um, the need for visibility of data and process did not end at that yellow line. And so what we had to do um, is we had to take a step back and understand, well, what can we do? You know, we have enterprise resource planning, you know, 10 years ago for mm-hmm. how to build vehicles. How do, we, how do we extend that and take that forward into the vehicle logistics and distribution space? And so we did. And um, where the primary driver then was the vehicle identification number. And we were able to take that and we were able to log basically a vehicle's history and where it is and what, what it's been done um, for these companies, like I said, fleet operators, distributors, retailers, um, uh, dealers, uh, that you know they don't make a, the vehicle. The vehicle comes to them as a finished good, and then they go about either consuming that in terms of vehicle miles traveled uh, in the way of the, uh, the the fleet operators, or they end up selling the vehicle again. And there needed to be some consistency between the design, make deliver and operate what we call the design to operate model um, 
across all of that. And so over the over those time over that time, we have actually come to a fully integrated and holistic model so we can see the whole life of the vehicle from 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 parts to sale to service, regardless of who owns it or where the vehicle is. Thank you very much. Very interesting. Daniel Davenport, please join us. Thoughts? You can take the liberty of agreeing or disagreeing with Bill or just add on. Go ahead, Daniel. Well, I certainly agree with Bill, although in some ways it may not be a completely finished car when it rolls off the line. If you're a distributor, uh, part of the the value that you can add in between the manufacturer and the, the local car dealer is upfitting those cars with um, features and, and aftermarket parts to specialize the car before it's delivered. So there's still a real need, uh, like Bill's saying, to have that uh, trackability and traceability all the way through the line uh, as it gets to the end, end distributors, in, in this case, many times dealers. Uh, those are the people that we work with uh, very closely to make sure that they're taking that that VIN number and attaching enough data points that they can manage uh, with a lot of transparency and visibility all the way through as it gets down to the end dealer and then sold to the consumer. Thank you very much. Interesting introduction to the topic. I'm going to go to section number two of this Q&A, if you will. Margins for companies engaged in captive fleet activities are growing. And here's an interesting part. The pandemic is helping, and we'll ask Bill and Daniel to explain that. How are organizations like vehicle resellers and vehicle service providers taking their information game to the next level? Aha, Bill Newman, where do we sit on this one? Well, you know, as we've talked about on this show uh, many times about many different topics, uh, the the pandemic, um, thanks to the coronavirus, has really accelerated a number of trends. And, you know, earlier in the year, your, our listeners will know that, you know, we've talked about how we, we were shut down for two and a half, three months, and we're basically operating on a nine or a 10 month production year. Well, when you make fewer cars, um, your the margins per vehicle become even more important. And so uh, where the vehicle goes becomes even more deliberate. Um, you're not just uh, building vehicles to go into a pool unless that pool is paid for in advance and captured. You're actually being very purposeful in your design and your production of the vehicles. And, and in this case, we're actually finding there's a greater need with distributors, with fleet operators to have even deeper line of sight into manufacturing. And I think it's a little tricky uh, because while this is increasingly important and uh, more margin um, more margin specific, many of these companies, at least in North America, operate as separate legal entities. So you can't have, um, you know, like Dan's family who owns the dealership, you can't, you know, give them access to your, you know, manufacturing ERP. Same with distributors, the same with um, your fleet operators. So coming up with clever and creative ways to be able to make, expose some of that information and provide even uh, greater visibility ahead of time without compromising um, legal contracts or any of the uh, data access requirements um, becomes more important. And, and we've begun to venture down with a couple of brands in that space. And I think we're going to see more to come. Again, you know, given the pandemic, many of these things that we're seeing accelerated and the changes that are made 
many of these changes will be permanent. And I, so I do believe that mm -hmm. this greater visibility will end up uh, becoming part of that per permanent uh, next state we're going to see as, as we exit uh, the, the formal pandemic recovery and get to the next normal. Next normal. You know how I feel about that. The next what? Okay, we'll leave it. Daniel Davenport, margins, visibility. What do you see? Go ahead. Yeah, those were um, those were great points, Bill. I, I'd, I'd love to double click on a couple of those as we get into this, perhaps. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that the idea that the pandemic has accelerated all kinds of things and that those things are in many ways going to become permanent facets of the way people do business is something that we see um, all the time with our clients. I think that there's, especially in the, the supplier world, there's this need for speed uh, and, and flexibility because I don't think that, that the manufacturing um, momentum uh, or cadence is going to return to the way it was. And I think that you're gonna see much more fast turn much more custom build, and especially as we get to electric, this um, experimentation that we really haven't seen in the industry uh, for for many many years, maybe if at all, because there's so many different ways of uh, providing electric vehicle systems, and there's so many more reasons to have sensors and and much more data and computer processing. So I think that's really interesting. I'd love to ask Bill a bit about the uh -huh. um, transparency in, in the consortium, because the hot topic in supply chain is this supply chain mapping concept, but you can't map if you can't see. So I, we've seen a couple of different ways to get at that, but Bill, what are you seeing as, as successful uh, for your clients right now? Yeah, Dan, it's a, it's a great question and, and thanks for bringing it up. You know, so I, we were, it was kind of funny. We were, we were in Asia on a bus coming back from visiting one of their, the, the corporate teams and we were just hatching up this idea and we were, we were just thinking to ourselves, you know, what if, what if, um, both sides of the equation were basically operating on that same VIN-oriented uh, business model. And what if uh, the manufacturer could put up somewhere on some magic window in the cloud, you know, what's coming at them and be able right. to have that distributor consume that information? And not only that, request if there are any changes so that it was some type of you know bilateral direction and that's right. that's in concept a model that we're working through um with 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 at least one um oe uh, brand maker um there are other models obviously but again you have to be very mindful of who owns the data you have to be very mindful of of, of legal constraints particularly in north america um and I think in, in, in a subsequent show, Daniel, that you'll be a part of, you might even scratch into this whole concept of who owns the customer data, which we're not going to touch right. here, uh, right. which can be very contentious, as you know, sure. coming from a dealer family. Yes, um, yes. But, uh, but certainly um, it, 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 it begs the question. And, and, and again, you have to have these conversations because the nature of our business is driving us much more quickly and deeply to have them. Right. If I may, Bonnie, uh, yeah, follow up? Please. Fantastic. Thank please you so do. much. Uh, so I don't know if you've seen um, that the use of either public or private blockchains to kind of a, create this consortium ability to share 
uh, the right amount of data and to make that transparent um, without exposing any, you know, of the, the proprietary data. Uh, we're, we're seeing a lot of that happen in Europe right now with a program we call Frictionless Enterprise. Hadn't gotten to the stage yet so much, but are you seeing any of that kind of technology apl- applied here? We, we have, particularly in terms of content traceability, and we discussed right. that, I think, in our, our last show with your colleague, oh, Richard Sanchez, which, yep. which was interesting about parts. I would say that... Um, Dealing with very, very large distributors and, and uh, obviously large manufacturers, if, if it's a point-to-point, there's generally enough funding to, to press ahead. Um, if you're looking at a more mm, multilateral type of consumption right. model, then blockchain makes a lot of sense. So for those right. listeners who, who are, are familiar, you know, blockchain allows multiple hands to touch without having to expose or share the data. Um, but yeah, that could be an area that we want to explore in a in a future show uh, more deeply. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, thank you both. Interesting. We're talking about data. I'm looking at our third topic for this segment, and uh, I I'm not sure if you covered this yet. GDPR for vehicle data. How would it impact vehicle movement and fleet maintenance? Bill, you want to tackle that one briefly and just explain what GDPR is? I think most of us know, but it's been a couple of years since it quote unquote, as I like to say, reared its ugly head or its or its helpful head, whichever however you want to talk about it. Bill, what's your thought on on that for data in the vehicle? Well, it, it's a conversation around so this gets back to who owns the data and the yes. vehicle, right? So um, I think most listeners, at least in the business, are aware that the European rule for global data uh, protection is more for individuals, but there's this idea um, lacking anything, frankly, at, at least in the North American regulatory environment, uh, that that as you consume a vehicle and your vehicle's behavior is tracked, monitored, recorded, resold sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. nobody reads the end user license agreements that come with, you know, computers and cars. Hmm. Uh, right now, as it stands, whoever makes the vehicle, it's a golden rule, whoever makes the vehicle owns the data. Um, hmm. We, we, we have had discussions on this show and others that um, probably once the, the U.S. election gets behind us, that these conversations around an idea of a GDPR for a vehicle uh, to protect um, consumers, driver consumers, uh, will probably get some legs um, in Congress uh, as we go into the next session. Um, there is a, a group that we've worked with in the past um, the uh, Automotive Aftermarket Supplier Association. It's a sister organization of OESAs, um, great folks. Um, and they're having a conference actually as we're recording this in the not so distant future, where they're gonna start to look at um, things in their task force around uh, secure vehicle interfaces and things of that nature. And they've been very active in this discussion um, in some of the uh, early um, information hearings. But uh, at the end of the day, I think, I think vehicle owners are going to demand a certain right of control of their vehicle behavior information. And, and the fact remains that right now, they currently do not have full control over that. And I think it's going to change. And again, it's going to be one of those long-lasting changes. Thank you, Bill. Daniel, any comments on that? Thoughts on GDPR? Yeah, I mean, full control or or any control um, in some ways. And I think that the OEMs, as you're saying, do maintain a fairly tight grip over all of that data. 
but there's so many more data sources coming online with any any vehicle, and there's so many more potential consumers. Uh, so if you had a way to anonymize that data and pool it up and then sell it and then provide that as a benefit to everyone in the ecosystem, I think that you'd see a lot of willing consumers. Uh, in many cases, uh, smart cities are going to be driven by this kind of vehicle data. So there's going to be a real need to have that available and accessible either by the individual vehicle or as an aggregate. So I completely agree with Bill that this is a huge issue. Uh, it needs government attention uh, as well as industry attention. And, and I think that there needs to be a willingness from the OEM to open up that data to a broad variety of data consumers to really fuel the next stage of growth and mobility. Thank you, Daniel. We're just about out of time, but I want to quickly touch on, we had one extra topic here from Bill Newman. Who gets the bill, Bill? For captive fleet consumers, new business models for subscription billing. Why don't you take about 90 seconds each and then we'll wrap up. So, Bill Newman, what do you see? Subscription billing? Well, well, this is actually really cool for fleet owners. So, I mean, being able to provision vehicles um, as a fleet owner, so I'm I'm Waymo or I'm a big distributor, like we do some work with a big distributor up in Canada. And uh, let's just say, for example, you have long-term contracts, what we call captive fleet, to provision vehicle use to an organization. Well, those organizations generally just don't write one bill back to you as a fleet owner every month. They want to break it into cost centers in different parts of their organization. Um, and there's, you know, they can charge them maintenance, et cetera, et cetera. So we've come up with some very, very clever ways where we can actually align that vehicle billing based on subscription and based on use, align to who you are, who's operating the vehicle, what organization are you from, maybe even what project number you're on. And that's, that's actually very, very new uh, information. And uh, whether it's to municipality, to a large company, uh, whatever big enterprise, uh, that's just going to make everybody's day a bit easier as you reconcile bills and, and how we use vehicles. And it doesn't have to be a car car. It can be like a department utility vehicle or, you know, uh, repair trucks and, and things of that nature. So even servicing, which we'll touch on in another program. Thank you. Daniel Davenport, thoughts on the billing, the subscription model. What do you think? Yeah, the, just like Bill's saying, the ability to get granular and, and pre- precise on different kinds of billing mechanisms is really a new new deal. Uh, it's a new game. And so the, I think that you're going to see a lot of uh, advanced uh, relationships develop or even third-party relationships develop where you've got much more granular control over the use and the payment uh, moving forward. So it's really a, a brave new world out there in, in this regard. Indeed, a brave new world on so many levels as we come out of the closures, go back into post, almost post-pandemic recovery, <laughs> restarting, uh, rebuying, people wanting to have new cars. I don't know, Bill, by the end of 2021, you think you'll still have the keys in your pocket, Bill Newman, for your own car? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like you, like like most of your listeners know, Bonnie, I've, I've kind of got my own, I've got my private set of wheels. It, it's going to take gas, but, you know, I, I just enjoy driving, but uh, that's just me. Um, I guess I don't know where I'm going to 
get gas, get it serviced 20, 30 years from now. But, you know, that could be my kid's problem by then, you know. I'm- I just said 2021. Daniel Davenport, the end of 2021, will you still have keys to your own vehicle in your pocket or on your table? Probably. I'll Ooh. go with probably. Ooh. Uh, I, I live in an urban area, and if I could offload that asset ownership to someone else, I might gladly do it. Okay, very, very interesting. Well, as Bill knows, on my Game Changers radio shows for SAP, I end with uh, fasten your seatbelt, go out and be a game changer today. And then I lean into the mic and I say, my car is getting two months to the gallon. How's yours doing? Because where do you go? So anyway, Daniel Davenport, such a pleasure to meet you. I know we'll be meeting again soon on another Automotive Insiders, Bill Newman. Come back anytime. We love talking to you. Always a smart conversation. I'm Bonnie D. Graham signing off. And a shout out to Adam Slayman for putting this together. Let's have a round of applause for Adam at OESA. Thank you very much, Adam. And to Eric. Aaron Keller, our engineer. Thank you, Aaron Keller. Now, Bonnie DeGram signing off for Automotive Insiders. Drive carefully. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Automotive Insiders, presented by OESA. Listen at your convenience to industry thought leaders as they discuss the ever-evolving industry and how companies can thrive in the new mobility landscape. All episodes are on demand on the Voice America Business Channel and at OESA.org. Automotive Insider is presented by the Original Equipment Suppliers Association. 